I am Ben Doc Askins, the psychedelic science war storyteller, and this is the Anti-Hero's Journey Podcast. Hey everybody, Doc here. If you're enjoying the podcast and you want it to be possible for me to continue to make it, then I'm going to need you to go to my store at antiheroesjourney.com and buy my audiobook and my ebook in one of the many translations available, or go to shop and pick out some of my stuff t shirts and hats and pet bandanas and bikinis and scented candles and all sorts of nonsense, all the things you could ever want and never need. And get 10% off with the code, all caps, FRIEND10. Go to antiheroesjourney.com and use the code, all caps, FRIEND10 to get 10% off anything that you could ever want there. I appreciate your support. Thank you. I love you. Goodbye. Welcome back to the Antiheroes Journey podcast. This is Ben Doc Askins hosting for you today. We've got... Uh, Another one of our Q5 podcast episodes lined up here where I just ask five questions that are some of my favorites to use in preparation work in my ketamine-assisted psychotherapy practice. My guest today is Jude Starr. Jude is an integrative therapist and meditation teacher. He became obsessed with consciousness and Eastern philosophy in his late teens and has been exploring ever since. He studied Buddhism and growth practices with a variety of teachers and mentors, Vipassana, Zen, and Tibetan Buddhism, and spent over six years in experiential psychotherapy training programs such as gestalt, transpersonal, psychodynamic, depth, existential, and somatic therapies. Career highlights for Jude include writing meditations for popular apps like Calm and Open, as well as creating guided practices used in psychedelic therapy for two of the leading organizations in the space, Mindbloom and Field Trip, now Stella. While he's proud of all that work, he's most passionate about making healing and growth practices available for free on his YouTube channel, Being Integrated. Jude, I'm psyched to have you on the podcast today. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's my pleasure. We're going to get rolling with question number one. What is your story? So, I mean, it's always a fun question because there's so many routes you can go, but given this context of... You know, you you work in the psychedelic space, and now I'm I'm coming out more in the psychedelic space. I'll, I'll kind of tilt it that way because for a long time I didn't talk about psychedelics. Right? It was something. You know, I've been doing psychedelics since I was very young. I was a raver when I was like started raving when I was 15. I really got into like this whole meditation therapy thing, and especially in the therapy world, it's this like you got to be careful what you talk about. Be careful about disclosure. But times have really changed, so. So I'm excited to kind of talk more about, you know, psychedelics, my experience with them, all of that. So my story, it's like always good to give the context that my parents are into Tibetan Buddhism. So I grew up around Tibetan Buddhism. It was like normal for me to like, you know, see uh, lamas and monks and all of these things. And my parents used to host like Tibetans, lamas, teachers and stuff. So that was always like in the space for me, just like that, that dimension of spirituality, understanding Buddhism 
And so when I really started to get interested in all of these issues when I was older, that was like the immediate, like I knew Tibetan Buddhism was there. And so when I was like 20, 21, I started studying formally Tibetan Buddhism. And it was not what I was hoping it was, unfortunately. It was a lot of like formal practice. It's like very kind of structured. And a lot of people, you know, Buddhism is often seen as this very like kind of free and like it's kind of associated with like hippie movements and stuff. But any like real traditional Buddhist teacher is actually like pretty conservative. You know, they're very like structured. They're very like, we do this, we don't do this. It's actually like a very conservative tradition or most of them are like any, any traditional teacher I've encountered has been like very on that conservative side. Right. And so me being like 21 years old, skateboarder, loved to party and stuff, it like wasn't really mixing with my lifestyle. And I just kind of found there was what I was really looking for. I was looking for something that wasn't quite being addressed through like the, the traditional study. And so, uh, so I kind of left after a year and then I found this really cool teacher when I was 23 who, who was, uh, Zen Buddhist, but also like, well, he had studied Zen Buddhism actually under Philip Kaplow, who's like a really well-known Zen Buddhist teacher. He wrote Three Pillars of Zen, but he was also a Gestalt therapist and ran a therapy training school and transpersonal therapy. And he had also done a lot of psychedelics when he was younger, which actually put him onto the path. And so having him in my life, you know, somebody who was like, you know, he, I think he was in, probably in his fifties then. And he was like, just like awesome guy. He wrote motorcycles and dirt bikes too. And like, that was like the first guy I could like really connect with and like really feel because our first session, he was like, where do you see yourself in the future? Right. And so I was like, okay. I was like, I don't know, maybe somebody like you. Right. So that was like the first time that I really felt a connection with an older person who I could see like, oh, this is maybe where I want to be in the future. So I had this great teacher and and he opened the world to me of like therapy, what therapy could be and how it could be integrated with like a Buddhist perspective and all that. And this is when I was 23 years old. I, I just turned 40, so quite a while ago. And then my life was definitely not linearly following that path. I had a lot of other kind of interests like photography and, you know, just culture, all, all of these things. And but it was when I was 30, I had a really big psychedelic experience. It was right after my 30th birthday, which is like almost exactly 10 years ago now. And that was like this real incredible shift and incredible, it was like everything I had studied previously was suddenly like integrated or felt like the truth of it was very felt. And it was extremely clear that like, oh, I need to get my life back on track. Because at that point, I was still partying a lot, still like you know, wasn't like quite serious, like career wise about doing something like really, truly meaningful. And so the next few years, I actually ended up moving to an ayahuasca retreat center uh, in Costa Rica, like living there and like kind of being a volunteer and then going on long retreats in the Amazon. So I, so I worked a lot with ayahuasca and like the Shipibo tradition, but many other traditions as well. So I, it was really good. I got to like experience at least a dozen different like ayahuasca facilitators to see how they hold space differently, how integration is done differently, all these, you know, it was an extremely valuable experience. And it was very helpful in some extent. And like, the thing is, I got to really see all the, the varieties of what ayahuasca can and can't do or also what it does like consistently or not so consistently and so 
I, I realized one that the beauty and the magic of it, but also the limitations of it. And after that, I decided to go back to school for like a third time for psychotherapy and become like a psychotherapist. So I, I did a lot of psychedelics and a lot of psychotherapy, and then also like a lot of Buddhist study. And those have really been the themes in my life. And then I ended up, this is actually before school, I ended up getting a job for Calm, which is like the meditation app that was really amazing when they were kind of in their early stages. And that was like a really great opportunity to like sit down and to try to write all these unique meditations and just that contemplation of like, okay, well, how can I make all this like wisdom from Buddhism, from all these different meditation traditions and teachers really accessible to new people, right? That's like, and that is really my thing, you know, which is like, okay, like I, I have a really broad dynamic understanding of like different paths when it comes to meditation and, and psychotherapy and development and all the different tools and perspectives and maps and modalities. But then it's like, how do you make it simple and accessible for people, which has always been my thing, right? So when the pandemic hit, I was like at home and just, you know, locked down. And I was like, okay, if there's ever been a time to like do something, to like share knowledge, like the world is in crisis. And I guess like now I have time and space. So I was like, I'm going to start a YouTube channel. And I never would have started a YouTube channel had it not been for the pandemic. I guarantee that because it took me like months to like get over myself to be able to just do it, right? Because I was really like shy about putting myself out there. And, but it was like literally the crisis of the pandemic and feeling like I really need to do something and I know I can do something because I'd already been teaching meditation for seven years at that point, already been seeing clients. And so I was like, okay, so I started making like meditation videos and psychotherapy videos and just giving people the fundamental practices and tools to just cope with life, right? And and to give, you know, better perspectives and understandings and all these things. And so so that was really fun. And I really loved YouTubing and it's been like an on and off thing. It's on again now. I always like try to get back into it, but then I get busy with other work. I get lots of contract work. So I, I um, you know, have have written meditations for various apps and all that. And then that when I get those contract works, I'm seeing clients on top of it. So usually my YouTube channel gets neglected. So it's been this like fun kind of dance between all these different projects and and just, yeah, like I, I love what I do because I learn as I do it, right? Because like when when you're constantly like engaging with this type of work, it's like you're constantly learning and you're constantly refining. So yeah, so where does that leave us? I think that's a pretty good intro. It's like, so now here I am. Oh, so the other thing is I'm nomadic, right? So this is the other kind of oddity is that I don't have a fixed address. I left Toronto Three years ago, I was in Costa Rica for two years during the pandemic. And for the last like year and a half, I've just been all over. Right now I'm in Vancouver, but the last place I was really living was Mexico City. And so I'm just kind of exploring, working online, you know, trying to find the people I want to work with, right? I think that's like the one of the important things in life if you are so lucky to be able to find the projects and the people you want to work with. So being nomadic allows me to do that, to go to different cities, work with different people. So that's where I'm at. That's, that's a, an intro, I think. 
Yes, a mindful nomad with a YouTube channel. I absolutely love it. I'm glad that you, you know, launched that YouTube channel. That was kind of, we were talking before starting the podcast. That was where I got more familiar, you know, researching you a little bit and really enjoyed your YouTube channel. And that was why I invited you on the podcast in the first place. So I'm really glad we're getting a chance to connect here. Man, what a story. You got an awesome story. Thanks, man. So what I'd like to do with, you know, we move from question one to question two. Question one's about your story, and it's about memory, and it's about history. And then I ask people, what are your intentions? What about the future, and what about imagination? What are you lurking on and looking to do here moving forward? Yeah, it's a good question. And I I think when it comes to intention, it's a very broad yet somewhat clear intention, right? Which is basically, how can I be of most service in the way that is like personally resident for me? And I think that's an important thing is like not to make it like a mathematical calculation, but to like feel into like what what is feels really aligned? What do I have to offer? What am I interested in? And so obviously I'm interested in, you know, growth, growth modalities, healing modalities, that type of thing. So it's how can I make these things more accessible, more impactful for people? So, yeah, so that's my intention and it takes so many forms and it's a little overwhelming all the forms it can take because now I'm like writing my sub stack. I'm like working on my YouTube channel. I'm seeing clients one-on-one. I've done like group online stuff. I have a little online group I run on Patreon with like just for my supporters and we do like a an online kind of group. And then I'm also, I have like another project coming up to do a kind of like a peer group with other people who are very extremely experienced in the psychedelic space. So I, so we can learn from each other and also do like kind of support therapists and having better understanding around psychedelic preparation, facilitation and integration. So like, these are all the, the interests. And then I'm hoping to do retreats. I'm actually doing co-facilitating on a meditation retreat at the start of next month. And so in Toronto, it's Consciousness Explorers Club, which is like my home group run by Jeff Warren, who's like a phenomenal meditation teacher. He's uh, he's kind of one of the guys from Calm. He's he's the one of the main guys. He does the daily trip on Calm. So there's like, there's so many ways in which this is showing up. And so, but it's it's that one clear intention, which is like making growth, healing and growth practices more accessible to people. And so it's a rough intention that guides me and it shows up in many ways. But I would say, I think that that clarifies it. Yeah, yeah. Greater accessibility for healing is a beautiful intention for you to be carrying forward, especially with the story that you've got. The accessibility piece is like one of my core, core values in the sense of like, I try to make everything available for free. Like I sell a meditation for ADHD course, but I make most of that content available for free on my YouTube channel anyways. It's just the course is like a nice package thing and I make it $33. It's so cheap to try to make it. And if anyone asks, I, oh, I've mentioned many times, like if you, hey, if you don't have the 33 bucks and you want the course, just let me know, I'll send it to you. And that offer is always open. It's really, there's this thing about like, I grew up, you know, my family was not wealthy at all. And the town I grew up in was not a wealthy town. And so most of my friends growing up didn't have much money. And so, yeah, the idea of just like catering to like a wealthier class, like selling just like high ticket kind of things does not appeal to me at all. It doesn't inspire me. There's no energy there. I would love to make some good money, you know, catering, doing some like cool retreats and stuff. But I want to make sure that like my primary work is 
accessible, right? Because that those are the people who need it most, and that's where like the inner drive and inspiration is. So yeah, accessibility is like a massive driving ideal for sure. Yeah, the ones who can afford it the least tend to be the ones who need it the most, and giving more than you take, like this is the way, right? And that's just what feels good, right? It's like. You know, when you help someone who like doesn't have any other avenues, it feels great. Like it's a win-win. So I, I always encourage people like, hey, if you're depressed or if you feel like life is meaningless or you feel stuck, like just try to help somebody, you know, do something nice for somebody. Even just send somebody a nice email who's like been a good, you know, like a who's been supportive in your life, who you appreciate. Just send them an email being like, hey, thank you for being a great person in my life. That feels good to just like tell people and to connect with people in that way to like express gratitude and care. Yeah, that's a, a good message. It's kind of paradoxical. People feeling as low as they do feel like they have nothing to give. And it turns out that finding something and giving it away is maybe the first step towards healing and getting better yourself. It's that you know, that gift giver paradox, right? I got to say like, it, before we move on, but yes, it's like, there's this reciprocal thing. And this is what I see on ayahuasca retreats because so meditation retreats, they're typically in silence. So, uh, you know, it has its pros and cons, but ayahuasca retreats are not in silence. So there's a lot of, I've been on a lot of ayahuasca retreats and there, there is this thing that organically happens that people start offering support to one another. They start listening to each other. They start being support. And it, you could see the people who are in support and just like listening and just caring for one another are getting as much out of it as the person being supported. And like, this is what we need more of in the world. And I've been in a lot of men's groups as well. And like, that's the kind of thing about the men's groups. And that's what's so powerful about them is that we're coming together with this intention to support one another. And to do that, it's so different than like a therapist. Like a therapist is awesome. Like I, I, I'm very proud of the work I've done with my clients and to be able to support them. It's like amazing. But when you get peer support, it's a different energy and it feels even more like validating almost because you're like, oh, this person isn't like a professional. I'm not paying them. They actually just are here for me because they're a human too, right? And they care about me and I care about them. And we've really lost that in our culture, like for the most part, at least what I see. Yeah, we are the medicine, right? Like MAPS likes to say in their values. Yeah. Strategic Navigators reduced my income tax bill by over 50%. These guys save entrepreneurs anywhere from 40 to 60% on their income taxes. Click the link in the description to schedule a call and see what these guys can do for you. If you enjoy paying as much as possible in taxes, then just ignore everything I just said. So question number three, what are you grateful for in the midst of the, you know, carrying of your story and of the setting of your intentions going forward? What are you grateful for? I mean, the first thing is all the people who I've learned from who have supported me. The biggest one for me is like my friend, Jeff Warren, who I mentioned, and like, he was the one who originally got me the job at Calm. They wanted him to work for, for them. And he was like, well, he's like, I'm, I'm really busy, but this guy's really good, you know? And he's just been an incredible support. He, you know, he's, he's older than me. He's about a decade older and he's, you know, more experienced as like a writer, as a teacher. And he was someone who really incredibly encouraged me to teach. He was like, hey man, you really get this. You're really good at teaching this. You have to do this. And I was very hesitant because like, I don't know, like I'm, you know, like, so having him as a support, like, I don't know if I would have, would be here now. And so I'm incredibly grateful to him 
especially, and I've told him many times, <laughs> you know, and many other people in my life who have been teachers and mentors, I could name at least seven or eight, like really supportive mentors that who have really showed me what it means to be a mentor, which to me is it's, it's showing someone, it's guiding someone to find their own inner guidance, right? So it's like helping someone figure out they actually have some knowledge or some understanding of what's best for them and, and that they can trust that. And it's not easy because we have many forces, inner and outer, that kind of weigh on us, that bring us onto different tracks that are often are not helpful. But all my great mentors have really showed me that I know that I do have some inner innate wisdom and they've helped me connect with that and see that. And so that's what I really try to impart to people I work with as well. So I'm grateful for, yeah, my mentors. The other one that comes to mind is my clients. So I have a lot of like one-on-one clients and it's like, I don't know, it's just phenomenal doing this work with them. It's so rewarding. I've seen so many of them come so far in their lives and they're so grateful to me. And then that is just feels amazing. I'm so grateful that I can, be that for people, right? I remember there was a time when I was in school and I was very depressed and I wasn't seeing clients yet. And I was like, oh my God, like I felt like nothing could take me out of the depression except for maybe like seeing clients. Like I was so antsy to like start practicing as a therapist because I had previously done so much schooling. I felt very ready. I felt very knowledgeable. And yeah, it wasn't like perfect when I started, but it was like, I knew that 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 was something I needed to do for my own well-being, right? And so I'm grateful that I can do work that is impactful to others. And, and I can see the impact and be with people and see their growth. Even though like my YouTube channel may have more impact, like because it's like more people are watching and, you know, and I get really amazing emails from people saying how much my channel has been helpful for them. It's still like not quite the same as like working with someone really intimately one-on-one, right? And so... I'm very grateful to 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 yeah to everyone who's like reached out to me and who everyone who I've been able to support. And then I'm just grateful for like YouTube as a platform, I think. <laughs> Cause it's like I love YouTube, you know, and like that's why I started YouTubing. But like I've learned so much from YouTube. You know, it's it's so great. It's such a great place where you can find really great channels with people who really have some expertise. And so I just love learning and I love, you know, being a part of that and being able to like offer things to people and just like upload them. And then like, you know, hundreds or sometimes thousands of people see them. And it's, yeah, it's just such a cool world that we live in. Those are the main things, the first things that come to mind, but I I like to practice gratitude. I can think of many, many things that I'm grateful for, but it's funny. Like my, my dad is a, my dad's into this stuff too, obviously. And he, he used to give like public talks and he made an audio set around like self-help stuff. So it was very, very similar. And I think that had he grown up in the YouTube era, he would have been a lot more successful because I think that that platform would have really lended itself well to what he was offering. And I think that because he didn't grow up in the YouTube era, it was a lot harder for him. So it's like, I'm very grateful to grow up in this era where I could put myself out there and just have it work, right? It sounds like you're grateful for virtually everything at this point, pretty well integrated around a whole lot of things there is what I'm hearing. Usually when I think of gratitude, the first thing that comes to mind is nature, like the natural world. Like I'm looking at a tree out the window right now. It's like, like just the trees and the rivers and like, I'm really grateful for a lot. Food, 
Like every time I eat, I, I try to practice gratitude for the food. It's like, you know, like this is like gratitude is such like people feel isolated in our, I always hear people say they feel isolated. And I think the fastest way out of isolation is the practice of gratitude, gratitude and compassion. And so it's like, if you want to feel connected to the world, start practicing gratitude, you know, and gratitude for the things that are really close to you, right? Gratitude for the plants that surround you, gratitude for the food you eat, gratitude for the people in your life. It's like, the more you can be grateful for those things, the more you'll feel connected to them, to the world in general. Yeah. Gratitude is a superpower that's incredibly underrated in our day, but it is a way forward for so many people out of so many dark places. You've kind of alluded to the answer to question four already in several ways, but I'm going to ask it anyway. What are you creating? Well, I mean, so we'll try to go in a new direction here to like not repeat because there's like, obviously there's all the things I'm creating like content wise, right? Which is, I mean, I'll, we'll start there. So it's like, I'm trying to make all of this stuff more accessible, trying to be a bridge, a way into, because it's like, I'm not trying to offer any like truly unique information or nothing that hasn't been offered before, but it's just, these things are really difficult to like get into and to understand that can be overwhelming. And so it's like, I'm trying to help make these things more accessible, right? Be this bridge to like, you know, support people. So there's that, like, you know, just content wise. But what I really also am craving and care for and want to create is more community. Because I think community is like this really necessary part of our well-being. And so not just community, but community that has like an authentic way of connecting with each other and expressing and and enjoying ourselves. And I think this other thing that gets lost sometimes like in this kind of world of like healing and growth is people take it so seriously all the time there's this like we you know we have to like set our intentions and be super serious with our healing which is really important but i think equally just as much you need fun and play and i think that that's just massively underlooked when it comes to like therapeutic healing stuff that that like i think you know, we're seeing like ketamine therapy now is like on the rise, obviously, you know, and, you know, people are like, okay, well this, you know, we're not going to do it like they do it at the parties. We're going to do it like seriously for healing. And it's like, great. Yes, do that. But also the people doing it at the parties are also getting an immense therapeutic benefit from doing it. If you're doing it in a good community, right? If you're doing it with people you care for, or care for you with a good intention, that I think that like a kind of party, like obviously you can lose yourself in that and it can become unhelpful unhealthy if you if you overdo it but i think a lot of people don't do it enough right they get too in these like kind of rote like routines and they don't know how to get loose and how to have fun and be playful so that's the other piece that i'm looking to like kind of create more is like these environments and i have some friends who who are into this into like experience design who i'm gonna definitely be working with in the future to be doing events that have like a, a real strong intention around healing and well-being, but are also fun and playful. And, you know, we do meditation, but we'll, you know, dance and, you know, just be silly, whatever it is. Because I think that stuff is massively, like, undervalued therapeutically. And I really think that as we're seeing, like, the psychedelic therapy movement evolve, it will get to the point where we're doing psychedelics together and dancing therapeutically and with like a DJ and like cool lights and all that. Like it's basically going to be like raves and Deadpool costumes. Yeah, exactly. And all sorts you know, of it's, you know about the costumes. So yeah. And, but that's the thing is like, it's 
that stuff is massively like it's happening because collectively we need it. There's a need for it. And when there's a need, people will just start to organize and make it happen. And so I think that like people are like, oh, there's therapeutic use of psychedelics and then there's recreational, but the recreational could be just as therapeutic if done safely, if done, you know, properly intention with, you know, the right environment, all that, of course, because that's not always the case. So, yeah, I think my intention is to create more fun and more connect with people in that way and not just in like a kind of serious, like kind of therapeutic dynamic. Yeah. That's just such a thoroughly integrated answer. Right. Uh, all right. Question number five, who are you really Jude star? I was looking forward to this question because it's when you ask someone who studies like Buddhism and non-duality, which I study a lot of and have been studying for a long time, who are you really? It's like, there's different strands of answers. And so there's like, there's that, there's the Buddhist non-duality, which I'll get into. And and then there's the depth psychology view. And these are seemingly opposing, yet also complementary, right? So depth psychology values this idea of soul. It's like this idea that we have some authentic self, some part. And Carl Jung is kind of one of, you know, the, the godfather of depth psychology, maybe you could say, depending on how you slice it. But he kind of said that, the first half of life is about, you know, basically finding your way in the world, becoming some someone, building up an identity to to be like accepted in the world and have some value. And then the second half of life is about deconstructing that and finding out who you really are, right? And so there's this idea that like all right, so there's all the things I've constructed to to find my way in the world and then there's like there's something that's like alive and mysterious and beyond kind of definition. And they'll often say like mythopoetically, like that there's some like, you know, and and I, that is still being discovered, right? So it's like, I have a sense of like, okay, I, I want to be this like, kind of catalyze the transformation of consciousness and healing, but also playfully and, and you know, and so there's like this idea in in that sense of like, you know, that's kind of beyond words, but this idea of like, okay, yes, it's like, that's kind of who I really am or what I really want to offer to the world. And then there's this other idea in Buddhism of like, okay, but there is no actual self that the self only exists relationally, right? So we only exist in relation to our environment, in relation to a thought, in the relation to an experience, to something else. But if you take away all those things, then there is nothing there. So this is this other idea of like, this like, you know, Ram Das has a famous saying, becoming nobody, or maybe that was the documentary, becoming nobody, right? And it's like this thing that the more we can free ourselves from this idea of I am this or I am that, the more we are free to just to just exist. And, and that's when real spontaneity and creativity can really arise when we don't have this fixed idea of who we are. So all that being said, I would say, I don't know who I am, you know, but I don't know with like a smiley face, not with like a frowny face, but in this like way of like, I'm still discovering it. And, and that's the beauty of it is that like, it's a, it's a moment to moment discovery. And sometimes you, I get in my patterns and I'm like, am I really those patterns? It's like, no, I'm not those. That's not. And then other times I'm like really connected with someone or something, you know, I, and I feel this sense of being more myself, right? Like, how do you know? And it's really beyond words, but it's it's this ongoing discovery of like, what will allow me to feel more myself and what takes me away from feeling. I actually have a practice. I don't know if it's on my YouTube channel, but I've done it for like another uh, 
I did it for open and I, I think I've done it other places, but it's like you feel into what are the experiences that make you feel more yourself and what are the things that where you feel less yourself and you get this sense of like, oh yeah, like I feel more myself when I'm like with my close friends and I feel less myself when I'm, you know, doing at work or, you know, doing some other. And so it, I really think that this kind of, who are you really, there's, if you have an answer to that, it's kind of sad because then it, you're not in the mystery of exploration anymore, right? You're not in the creative play of life, which it, which is what it is, right? And this is the other thing in Buddhism is this idea of impermanence, that everything's always changing and shifting and nothing is the same. Like they say, you can't step in the same river twice. And it's like that everything's always changing and shifting. And so if you have an idea of who you are, one, you're deluded because, <laughs> because that's not who you are. And two, it's like, yeah, it's like you're, you, you're, you're losing, it's taking you out of the potential of who you could be really, truly, if you were to let go of that. And they actually found this one of my favorite kind of thinker, author guys, Robert Keegan, he wrote this book called The Evolving Self, which is like really complex and dense, but really brilliant. And he studied how people evolve their sense of self through their adult lives, which wasn't really studied. Like adult developmental psychology was not studied in depth through adult. And he was like, well, that doesn't make sense. Like, I'm sure we keep evolving as adults. And so what he found from studying people in all these different cultures is that as people age, not only do they become more themselves, like in the sense of they become more clear with what they're aligned with and what they're not aligned with, but they become less fixed on that. So even though you become more clear of like, this is my role, you become less identified with it, right? Where you, you're like, oh, but I can also inhabit this role or that role, right? And so there's less fixation on who we think we are. And so... So yeah, so that's my that's why I aspire to is to be less fixated on on my sense of self. So there's a fun answer for that one. Personally, speaking as a nobody, I enjoyed listening to you articulate nothing to me. Wicked. <laughs> Any final thoughts? I think, you know, my final thought will be well, first of all, go check out my stuff. YouTube channel, Substack are like the the where I devote most of my online energies to like, you know, to putting out meaningful content. And, but there's always this thing, because I've been doing ayahuasca for so long. I first did ayahuasca when I was 26 and I'm 40 now. So it's like 14 years ago. And, and I've introduced, you know, many, at least 50 people to their first ceremonies just through my life where people are like, say they're interested. And I was like, okay, I can connect you with a good group. And then people always ask me, well, what's your advice for ceremonies, right? What's your advice? And this is like, so I honed it down to one piece of advice that I give because there's a million things you can say, but then people get overwhelmed and they start worrying and they're like, oh, did I do this? Did I set my intention properly? So it's basically like the one piece of advice I, I give is to like, just relax and trust in yourself and, and trust that, that you, if anything goes wrong or anything happens, that there's some part of you that knows what to do. And to not look outward for that guidance, right? And of course, we can get guidance from people who are really experienced. And, and obviously, I've had many mentors. I love learning from people. I love to be around people who are, you know, who have a lot to offer, you know, who have a lot of wisdom. You can learn from them, but you can't let that override your sense of what's best for you. And I've, I've gone down the wrong path. I've seen many people go down the wrong path because some mentor or some, you know, supposed wise person, whatever is like, this is what you should do. And it's like, no matter how wise someone is, they don't know what's best for you. And this is my red flag for like teachers 
when they're like, when they give these false promises, like, oh, like, oh, I, you know, if you just do this, then you'll get this result. I'm like, you don't know that. It's like, you don't know what result people are going to get because people are so varied and, uh, and you can't tell people that this is what they need because you don't really know. You, you, you never know. And so you have to inquire into the person, help them see for themselves what they need for themselves. And so like, yeah, my piece of advice is that, sure, learn from everyone and learn from, you know, the world and all your experience, but always come back and really ask yourself, is this right for me? Or is this, you know, good for me? And like, that's truly like the best thing you can cultivate in yourself is that inner guidance and that inner trust. Jude Starr, it's been a pleasure hosting you on the Anti-Heroes Journey podcast. Cheers. Cheers.